I want you to turn in your Bibles back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to finish uh, really a message that I started last Sunday and wrap it up today. And I'm going to read my text. Actually, uh, uh, partway through this, I'll begin to work through my text, so I'm not just going to read it all at once at this point, but I will walk with you through it. I want to make sure that we understand something today, that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And he's coming for his church. And he's coming as the King of glory, the Lord of lords. He will not arrive as a small little tiny baby, weak, helpless, insignificant. But he will come as the Lord. And he is going to come, I believe, very soon. This is the blessed hope of the church. It is the foundation of our core beliefs. I want to do something for a moment. I want to make sure that we understand what the church is. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. The church is not even a gathering of people. The church, the church, are those people who know Christ in their life, in their heart, who have dedicated themselves to Jesus Christ, who have asked for the forgiveness of sins, in which Christ is the only one that can forgive sins. People cannot forgive sins. Priests cannot forgive sins. A church cannot forgive sins. You can come to this communion table today and take a cup and a, and a piece of bread that does not forgive sins. None of that forgives sins. Anything that you would do, anything that you would think does not forgive sins. Being a good person is a commendable thing, but it does not forgive sins. Only Christ. Him alone. As a matter of fact, that was the entirety of the Reformation. Right there. It's Christ who forgives sins. It's Christ who lifts us out of the, of the, uh, uh, of the sin problem that we, each one of us are born with. And we can thank Adam and Eve for that, because we inherited it from them. I just want you to know, there's the definition of the church. You can be a Methodist, you can be a Lutheran, you can be a Roman Catholic, and you can say, I'm a part of the church, but you're not a part of the church. You can be a part of Faith Community Church and be a member of this church, but that doesn't make you a member of heaven. Only Christ does that. Only when your name is inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the church. And by the way, this Sunday morning, there's more than just us here. We've got a great crowd this morning. There's more than just us. There are believers that are meeting on every corner of this globe. Every nook and cranny. You will find the church. And the church is gathering Oftentimes it is in small groups and in, in like closets almost. Hidden out of the way. Hidden because of persecution. Being a believer in many places is a very dangerous thing. 
being a believer and a follower of Christ in America is relatively simple. And I thank God for that every day. And you should too. That's the church. And I'm excited about the return of Christ for his church. Even the negative things that are around us. Even those things which have prophetic implications. Tell me that Christ is coming for his church. And I'm glad for it. You know, we, we, as a student of the Bible, there are so many places in the scripture you could turn and you could find the, what I would call the implications of the return of Jesus Christ in some different way, some different form. Many of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets in particular, spoke about the coming of Christ. They spoke about the, the Messiah that was to come. And all of these things. I found something this week that is interesting. That I caught my attention that Jesus said, after telling his disciples about some parables, one of his disciples came up to him and said, you know, Lord, why, why do you keep talking in these parables? Why do you keep using these parables of the sower, these parables of the soil? All of these things, why do you keep doing this? And in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 17, the Bible says this, For truly I say to you, listen very carefully, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. They long to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. Do you realize what that means? We are a part of the people of God that God is speaking to, that God is doing things in our culture that we are seeing that is clearly fulfilling prophetic scripture. They didn't see it, but we are seeing it. They didn't hear it, but we are hearing it today. And it tells me, it tells me this, this becomes another one of those proofs, if you will, of the return of Jesus. On the day of his ascension into heaven, Jesus and his disciples gathered on the Mount of Olives and the disciples literally watched Jesus ascend into heaven. Now what was interesting about that moment where there are two white-robed men, it says, that's the description, these were angels of God. And listen to what they said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. Why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up to, from you into heaven will also come in just the same way that you watched him go to heaven. I think that's one of the first words, among the very first words, spoken to that New Testament church that was forming, that was that was brewing on the, uh, that was simmering on the burner, if you will, that Jesus was returning. He's coming back. Listen, we can be certain of the return of Jesus, and that's because he said he was coming back. Paul said he's coming back. John said he's coming back. Peter said he's coming back. And believe me, if I know anything about the Word of God, the Word of God stands forever. And what God says in this book, he is going to do. He's going to accomplish. You can go to the bank on that right now. He's going to do it. And that's his promise to us. Let me also add, since the very earliest days of the church, 
there have been mockers. There have been those who had come along and say, well, listen, we've heard about this message for a long time. We've heard about the coming of the Lord. Folks, I've been preaching for 40 years, and I've been preaching about it for 40 years, and surely there's somebody who says, look, I heard your first sermon on this, and it still hasn't showed up. <laughs> well, this one's better than the first one, so we'll just, we'll just kind of take it from there. Actually, we'll leave it there. 2 Peter addresses this question. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. And there are other verses right in there that's sprinkled in there. Folks, I urge you to keep your Bibles open this morning. In the back of your church bulletin where it says sermon notes, I've listed the scripture passages that I t intend or hope to be able to use this morning as time allows. And you can follow the, those along, but follow me in, in the scripture, in the word, and especially when I'm here in 2 Thessalonians. Peter answers that question. He said, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient toward you. And let me tell you why he's patient. Because he says, I don't want anybody, I'm wishing, not wishing for any to perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. You want to know why Jesus hasn't come yet? It's because there are people that need to hear the truth. There are people here this morning, and you are here for maybe a variety of reasons brought you into, into the sanctuary today. But one of those reasons, whether you knew it or not, whether you walked in here, I don't know whether you got out of your car in the parking lot and said, I want to hear the truth this morning. That may not be you, but I'm telling you, you are hearing the sound of the truth this morning. And the truth is, God wants you to respond to him. God wants you to know him. God wants you to personalize in your heart, in your life, the life of Jesus Christ. And that can happen today, and I pray that it will happen. I pray that God is going to open your heart wide open so that he could come in and do an incredible thing. It's our job this morning to speak the gospel. It's our job. We're not going to put on some white robes and go stand in the parking lot and say, I hope Jesus comes at noon today. That's foolishness. That's nonsense. We're going to keep doing our job, and our job is to present the gospel. It's to share the truth. It's to share the good news about Jesus. Now, in the next few minutes that I have, and I have very few minutes, I'm going to be the teacher this morning for a bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning, uh, let's see, uh, beginning at verse 6. Paul's saying, Paul is speaking here, and he says, now I want you to know. Now, let's stop there just for a minute. What do you, what, what do you want me to know? Actually, that's embedded in the verses that come just prior to this. But I really honestly believe that Paul is saying, you know, I was here earlier and I taught you, I spoke to you. In fact, I wrote to you. That was his first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, I told you about the coming of Jesus. I told you about that. And uh, Paul seems to be, I think Paul's a little bit surprised right here because these false teachers had continued to proliferate their messages and their letters and everything else, all of this stuff was coming at them. And I think Paul is just a little bit surprised, taken back, that they had not <clears throat> got over that hump, if you will. 
understanding about the return of Christ. Verse 6, and you know. <clears throat> Paul believes they should have understood this. The restraining force, he talks about something here that raises my curiosity and probably yours also. What is the restraining? You know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Now, let's talk about that word for a minute. Restraint means to hold back. It means to suppress. It means to hold down, literally. I think we can understand that clear enough from the word itself, the English word itself. Now, the what, the what of the restraining force, there's all kinds of speculation out there. A lot of it. Plenty of it. Most of it is not correct. Now let's understand something here. This is where I think the student of the Bible, and I want to, I'm, I'm going to make a presumption here this morning that you all are students of the Bible. You all want to understand and know the Word, know it in the best possible way that you can so that it, the, its message is clear, it rings true in your heart and your life. You want the truth. And so this is where we have to pay some real close attention because in some prophetic scripture, this is just the nature of prophecy scripture, in some scripture there are two meanings held within the same verse. Two meanings. Two possible, not possibilities, but two genuine meanings held in the same verse. There can be a description of something that comes during the millennial reign of Christ is something that comes prior to that. And they can both be folded right into the same verse. I'll give you an illustration. Matthew chapter 11, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the temple, uh, near the temple mount on the Mount of Olives. He is giving them a lesson, literally a lesson here on his second coming. This is, one of the, this is a passage of scripture that you need to understand. And I hope you would look at it. But it is a passage of scripture <clears throat> that is for the tribulation period. But it also has a double meaning. Watch this. In verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's going to be a truth during the tribulation period because there is going to be so much deception. I mean, this stuff is going to be flowing like, like floodwaters all over the place. But there is also deception today. And that's as clear as a bell. You can go to First, uh, you can go to first, uh, uh, first Timothy chapter 3. Let's make sure I'm right on that. No, 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, and the Spirit expressly says that in the last times, in the last times, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons will be a part. Paul is talking about today. He's not talking about the end, he's talking about today. He goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I want you to preach the word, and for this reason, there's coming a time where they'll not endure sound doctrine, but they have these itching ears and they heap to themselves teachers that have new and spicy information. That's what Paul is saying. We verify 
by the Word of God. In other words, I can't just take a passage, lift it out of the Bible, and say, oh, this is what it means. I need to verify that passage with other, uh, with other properties of the Bible. That's how I get to the truth. That's how we know what is being said or what is not being said, as the case might be. That's what Paul is talking about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And then the Bible goes on. It tells us that until he is taken out of the way. Now this is one, this is a passage right here that trips people up all the time. And they get it right, they get the identification right, and they say, well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's true. But is the Holy Spirit taken out of the way, as in taken out of the world? That cannot be. That cannot be. Why? It's simple. The Holy Spirit is God. You remember? God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. The three persons of the Trinity. You cannot remove God the Holy Spirit out of the world. That is impossible because then you're dividing up God. That's just not good theology. But what can be taken out? Where is the Holy Spirit this morning? You know where he's at. Where's he at? Where? Right here. Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. He's here. He's there. He's over there. He's over there. He's all over this place. Why is that? How do I know that? How do I, am I making this stuff up? The Bible said, what did Paul say? That these bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Did he say this church building is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Mm, no. Although when we all get together under this roof, you can feel his presence, can't you? You can feel that. Do you know why this place is different? Do you, have you ever thought of that? It's because you can feel him, the spirit of the living God. He's here right now. That's why it's different. That's why people walking through that door, that door, said, I just felt something different. I've heard that, no, no exaggeration, but scores of times, he's here. But if this group of believers, people who are temples of the Spirit, are taken out of this world, what does this place become? Cold. No spirit. He's gone. His residence in his church has taken up new residence in heaven. You follow me on that? Did I lose anybody? I want you to understand that because it's very important. Because when the church is gone, understand, as hard as this may be able to sound to you, the church becomes a restraining force. Remember my definition of the church. Remember that very carefully. That's why I define it. It, it is a restraining force against wickedness, against evil, against deception. You name it. And he restrains. 
But take his church out of here, and it's like knocking the dikes down around a city, and the flood will come in. That's what I'm talking about. Church is not going to be here. Why? Because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, he tells us that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be forever with the Lord. He takes us out. Now I cannot figure this out. I'm going to digress here for a second. I don't understand I know some people that want to go through the tribulation. Can you believe that? These are misguided people. I don't know why they want to. I can't understand. There is no reason for that. There is no truth to that. And when you find these people and you back them into a spiritual corner and you say, what about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18? Well, we admit that is a problem. Winner. <laughs> I got to run. I got to run. We got communion this morning. I want to finish up. And with all unrighteousness, verse 10, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Let me tell you something. There are people that come into this church on any given Sunday who will say, I don't love the truth. I don't want the truth. If they did, if they did, they would respond to the truth. You see, the truth is where it's at. Folks, I want you to understand this. Please understand this. Very important. What happened in the Garden of Eden? The enemy came up to Eve. God had already said, you can eat anything in this garden you want, except what? The tree of good and evil. You can't eat that. You can't go there. And what did the devil say in Genesis chapter 3 and about verse 1? He said, has God said that you can't eat of the trees of the garden? He spoke against truth and he fell for it. The truth you would be surprised today the people who really don't want the truth about what God wants to do in their lives and can do in their lives and everything. This is talking about the truth of God right here. John said, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The light is the truth of God. This is the light. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Now I want to read to you, and I'm going to close with this, one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. And for this reason, verse 11, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they may not be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me close with this. Let me tell you something. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be very direct this morning. It's just blunt direct. 
I think there's people in here today. And I'm telling you, you're playing a game of hellish roulette. You spin the wheel when you walk into this place. And you say, preacher, I've heard this before. I've heard you say, come to Christ, know Christ, and all of this thing, and everything like that. But I want to tell you something. And they're saying, and I've heard them say this, I've heard this. Well, if the rapture really does happen, then I'm going to get right with God. Oh, my word. Are you serious? Are you really serious? Didn't you hear what the word of God says? If you won't receive the truth of God today, in a day of amazing grace, in a day of the mercy of God, in a day there could not be an easier way to respond to Christ and say, come into my life, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. If you can't respond to him today, what makes you think in a day of deception, when that deception is running like a flood stage river through this culture and through this society, he says, I will give them a, a, a deluded spirit. So what makes you think you will come to Christ then? when the powerful influence of the Spirit of God has been lifted out of this culture, he's gone. Will people get saved during tribulation? Oh, I think so. Some will. But you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. This morning we anticipate the return of Jesus. The time of the tribulation will be a terrible, horrible time of judgment. But this morning, saints of God, listen to me. I live with a great, great, overwhelming sense of security in Jesus Christ. Because I know this. The word of God says, God loved me, God chose me, God redeemed me, and he's going to glorify me. That's what the word says. I read it to you at the beginning of the service. I'm secure in Christ because I live for him and I walk with him. Titus says this, and I close with this before I pray. I am looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word because it truly is the living word of God. It is the truth of God. We speak the truth in this church. We speak the word. We, we speak the living word of God. And so, Father, today I pray in the name of Jesus. I'm so concerned today. There are people that may be sitting here and I don't know, maybe this is a, a kind of a new message to them. It's a, um, maybe they've never heard this before, but it's God's truth. And I want you to know something, my friend. Today God loves you. Today God's mercy is extended to you. The amazing grace of God is here right now for you. 
it's time. It's time to set aside whatever you've been trusting in so that you can know for certain, for certain, that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven. You need to know that for certain. And so today I pray. I'm going to pray in just a moment for people all over this place who will open their heart to Christ and ask his forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray with me right where you're at. You can do this. Just simply pray with me, dear Jesus. Come into my heart and my life. I confess I am a sinner. And I can't save myself. My church can't save me. Good works isn't going to save me. Hoping that I'll make heaven won't save me. I need Jesus. I need him in my heart and my life. Today, I accept him as my Savior and my Lord. Today is my new birth day. Come into my heart. Father, I pray that you will help us to know that you died for us and you rose from the dead. And I believe with all of my heart, all of my heart, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Father, we thank you for people that I believe prayed that prayer. They meant it with all of their heart. Help them to become strong Christian men and women who will walk with you and love you. While our heads are still bowed, I, I just want to ask this one question. Be very simple. I'd like to just ask you if you'd lift your hand right now. You say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you, and I meant it with all of my heart. Would you do that right now? Just lift your hand up, put it back down. Okay, thanks, thanks. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your amazing, powerful Holy Spirit to take the truth and penetrate hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.